Hello, and welcome to SoberCast, where we provide AA speaker meetings and workshops in podcast format. We're an ad-free podcast, and if you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by visiting SoberCast.com, look for the donate link, and drop a dollar or two into our virtual basket. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. Have a great day. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Saturday morning live group of Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is Sandy and I'm an alcoholic. How you all doing? Good to see everybody. Um, Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. We're self-supporting through our own contributions. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. Does not wish to engage in any controversy. Neither endorses nor opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. And I know we have some new people here this morning, and on behalf of the group, we want to welcome you to here and to Alcoholics Anonymous. What I just went through is a brief description of this organization. Um, for your information, there's about 125 groups uh, of AA meeting in the Washington area every day. And so there's a lot of people that are doing what we're doing here. And I like to think of it that we're able to accomplish something together that none of us was able to do on our own. And we're the kind of people who, if we could have done it on our own, we would be doing it on our own today. Uh, it's not our natural inclination to ask for help and to go into a group that is accomplishing something, but that's what AA does. And so um, the reason that the gut level that you should try Alcoholic Anonymous, in my judgment, is because your way stinks. This is the basic premise that I heard. And uh, if you got here and everything is perfect, we'd love to hear your story. This would be a first. Uh, in somebody arriving in AA and their life is just perfect. It was, uh, we think you have another problem. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Probably a bad memory for, um, within the period of four weeks of doing three each week. So today, uh, will be seven, eight, and nine. Um, for the benefit of anybody new, this meeting is uh, available to help you get a perspective on the steps. It's important when you come to something like this or any AA meeting that you realize that the person who is leading the meeting or sharing is just another drunk uh, doing their best shot at trying to share what these 12 steps might be, but there isn't anybody in AA who has the answers. We just have our own experience and we try and I know that anybody who is leading this meeting tries very, very hard to follow the AA literature to the best of their ability. But uh, if you're new and you hear something this morning and you just go, oh, my gosh, that's totally unacceptable, uh, come up and talk after the meeting. Maybe it got all screwed up. Uh, there isn't anything in the program of AA uh, that draws such hard and fast lines that it wouldn't be acceptable to anybody. I mean, that's this program was put together by drunks four drunks, and they knew that if they had a bunch of musts in here and all kinds of uh, absolutes that you had to believe in or any sort of that kind of stuff that would all take a hike the first week and there wouldn't be anybody to make the coffee. So uh, 
this just doesn't exist. If there's anything that's uh, where we draw a hard and fast line, is we just have found that drinking at meetings um, doesn't work too well. So generally, that's about it. Other than that, um, the program is a plan that has been done by the people who came before you and you get to look at the results and to evaluate and compare this product with you and if you find something that uh, you would like to change and you find uh, the program is attractive and you'd like to get the results that you see here then this is how you get there that's what AA says if you are interested then these 12 steps is how you get to where those people are that you have met here. In other words, that's the thing that holds all of us together. The one thing we all have in common are the 12 steps. That's what the program of Alcoholics Anonymous is. When you talk about practicing the principles of Alcoholics Anonymous, we're talking about the 12 steps. This is the basic spiritual principles that um, guide the members of this program. And just to set the record straight, if you're new and you think that one of the things that everybody in this room had in common, and that's why we're all here, was our undying interest in spiritual principles, uh, that's not it. What we all had in common was we were almost going to die from drinking. That's what we all had in common. And uh, we were fortunate enough to get here one way or another. And once we got here, we found out that we had two choices. We could go ahead and die an alcoholic death, or we could try and learn what these spiritual principles were and um, do the best shot that we could at following them. Some of us debated this question for a number of years before making a decision as to which one we would do, and the survivors uh, are here and um, the survivors and the undecided I would say that's what this room basically consists of is, is those of us that have decided and those that are evaluating whether we're going to go ahead and do the steps but at some point in time we find that we do make a decision and uh, sometimes that's the most important part of life is finally making a decision and we see that in our third step when we really decide to go on with the rest of the program um, we learn about inventories, we learn the importance of sharing with other human beings in our fifth step, and we learned um, in the writings about our sixth step that we were talking about last week, we learned the difference between the goals that we may have set for ourselves and what's possible. And uh, there's a line that uh, I've always liked in the 12 and 12 that says, we tend to settle, meaning human beings, we tend to settle for as much perfection as will get us by. And uh, I really relate to that. I, and I remember the uh, first time I got serious about these steps, I remember reading them, and I, I had only been reading them about 15 minutes, and I felt superior to the people in my neighborhood. You know what I mean? Nobody else is into this. Boy, wait till I get through. And then I started thinking about my neighborhood and how much pressure it would put on the rest of the regular people there if I became what this book would make me. You know what I mean? So there was a time when I thought, for their sake, I ought to stay an asshole. You know what I mean? <laughs> such, is the, such is the power of uh, some of our rationalization and instincts to find a way to not do this. 
And I remember thinking that, yeah, these people, they wouldn't know how to handle someone who was honest and nice and all that. I've since come to believe that they were way ahead of me on all counts and probably still are. And that's always been embarrassing to find earth people that have been practicing these principles since they were in grammar school. <laughs> Very big setback when you come rushing in at age 50 telling somebody you learned about meditation and they go, I picked that up in grammar school, it's been very useful all my life. <laughs> you know, but when you find something for the first time, it's very exciting and very often we do that in AA and show up at work 11 days in a row. You remember that feeling? You feel like telling people in the office, you know, I've been here 11 days in a row. I've been here 71 years in a row. <laughs> See, what you're excited about, well, for us, we're doing a lot of this stuff for the first time, and it is very exciting, and uh, I think the progress that we make in um, the 12 steps and this spiritual growth is, for many of us, the first time, and therefore, it is quite an adventure and quite a journey, and that sixth step just uh, gives us a view of what is possible and points out that... Um, it's a never-ending process that we will always be able to find something else that needs to be done. And so there's a sense of frustration that'll probably always be around us as we uh, work on whatever character defects we may be aware of today. It's almost like as soon as you do some progress on that, it enables you to see others that those were hiding. And then you go, God, when does this stop? It's kind of like cleaning a house. Did you ever notice that? You get it all done and it just gets dirty by itself. It's just, uh, I never figured that process out. You're over here and the table is just collecting dust all by itself back there. And eight or nine months, there's a bunch on there. It's amazing <laughs> how quickly it collects and you have to go back and go through the whole process again. And so it is in, in, in this program. In getting to the uh, steps that we're talking about today, uh, seven, eight, and nine. Humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. It's the shortest step that we have, so it's seven words long. Uh, very simple concept. You don't need to spend much time explaining what we're talking about here. We're talking about the fact that uh, each one of us has come to some understanding of a higher power, whatever that may be. For the, There's 300 people in this room. There's probably 300 definitions of a higher power. Uh, we've done some work on a list of character defects, we've taken an inventory, we've shared it with another human being, and we've uh, spent some time in the sixth step trying to get absolutely willing to uh, clean this list to the best of our ability. So we're coming now to a step that says we're going to ask whatever this higher power is to remove these character defects. And uh, that certainly doesn't need much explanation. You just in your own way, go about the process of asking this higher power to remove these. The problem is they've added the word humbly to the uh, sentence, and so you just have to go that one little extra step um, of humbly asking this higher power to remove the defects. And for most of us, that was a dead end. In other words, what is the difference between asking and humbly asking? And uh, it stretches the imagination, you know. At least I feel humiliated already uh, that I'm in the process. It's bad enough i got to ask. Now i got to figure out how to humbly ask. 
And the uh, bill in writing in the 12 and 12, he obviously was aware of this particular dilemma. And he writes that humility has not had a good time of it in our world. And he's right. You don't sell beer by promoting that it'll make you humble. You know what I mean? You don't have some sort of humble guy just standing there and just going, Hope did this to me. And there you are, humble. Um, there are references every so often that this man accomplished all of these great accomplishments or this woman accomplished all these great accomplishments and was humble. You know, it's almost like in spite of this character flaw, they were able to succeed in life. It, it is, And so humility needs a good press agent. That's all I can say is that it just has never been. And on the other side, uh, we find that we're subjected to the uh, great forces that pride can do because we're talking about a non-spiritual concept versus a spiritual concept. And if you want to leave a higher power out of it, if you want to leave uh, our whole, all of the spiritual side of the program out of it, you're right, you can get a lot done with pride. That's how you would get something done on just your own resources. In other words, if you want to get 110% out of yourself, then you could use pride. And that's what I remember in the Marine Corps. They'd just go, what about your pride, your pride, your own? You know, I'm just going, I know, but I'm sleeping in a goddamn hole and it's 50 below zero and you're suggesting it's fun to pack snow around your face and I'm going, this is awful, you know, and they're going, where's your pride? And I said, I don't know, but I don't like being in here. And they're going, well, you could learn to like it. Think about your pride. And I'd think about it and let's stay there. I mean, you know, and it would get you to, if there was no doubt about the tremendous power of um, pride. And then we come in here and they're going, Humility, the dictionary definition, absence of pride. So I'm going, oh, I see. So all of a sudden, pride went from um, the top of the list, the head, the uh, motivating, driving force to something that ought to be totally gotten rid of. It seems like a paradox. How could that be true? And I've even seen, uh, sometimes you go and you'll see, I remember years ago, they would have the list of character defects at some of the meetings that were hand-painted by some of the early members, and you'd see all the character defects up there, you know, it'd be dishonesty, lust, greed, envy, rationalization, false pride. Even pride had a PR man walk in there <laughs> and cut it some slack. You know what I mean? It, you didn't see false lust. <laughs> you know what I mean? False rationalization, false, false, false. But somehow, and that's why Bill writes, it's not by accident that pride leads the list. Pride snuck onto the list of character defects and cut itself some slack. You know, and says some pride is probably good. And guess what that pride is? Mine. <laughs> it's that last little part of me that says there are certain areas in my life that I will continue to handle alone and won't involve a sponsor, a program, the steps, or a higher power in. And there's just that that is the condition. And this is what humility has to do with. It has to do with... The great struggle that has to take place to get out of the driver's seat. 
Do we get out of the driver's seat in terms of alcohol? That we're willing to do right off the bat. Yeah, I'm out of the driver's seat. Yeah, drinking problem, you got it. What about the other 7,000 areas of your life? You know, well, I'll manage those in myself. I'll keep this thing. And the process of sobriety is, during your lifetime, how many other areas of your life can you turn over? And this is the process of actually accomplishing the third step, where we made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to care of a higher power. Here we're coming close to it right now. We're at this stage of humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. It is a question of perspective, of putting first things first. Um, very often, when we think of this particular concept of getting rid of pride, of not having a way, if you will, it sounds like you'll go nowhere in life. It's like if I put my spiritual progress first, then while I'm working on my spiritual program, my business competitor will ace ahead of me. Anybody ever have those kind of feelings? I don't know, maybe I'm the only weird one, but I always have this, I, I just don't want to let go of this situation out here, you know what I mean? And they're going, just leave that whole stuff over there and take a break and go to a noon meeting. And I'm going, yeah, but during the noon meeting, the phones could be ringing, the guy, the guy comes in, he gets the contract, and where am I? I'm at a noon meeting. A lot of good that's going to... A lot of good that's going to do me, you know, to take a break at 10 o'clock in the morning, go out, go over to someplace and meditate for 10 minutes. That'll be the very 10 minutes that they call and, and I don't end up rich. Um, and so this is the reluctance of doing that. And yet, what happens during these times? This is the most amazing thing. Think about what happens when we're willing to risk this and let go and let God, as the saying goes. We go to the noon meeting, and then we come back, and we're sitting, and we meet some people, and we talk, and we sort of just get our batteries recharged a little bit, we sort of get a different look at life, and we come back, and we're sitting there, and all of a sudden we have a clear answer to about three problems that have been bothering us for a month. You know what I mean? You just go, you know what I ought to do? Boy, we're just getting these little creative ideas like that. Of course, we take credit for them. And, uh, you know, we claim they would have occurred anywhere, but if you'll conduct these experiments uh, and go to these meetings, take these 10-minute break here in the morning and the afternoon, we find that our efficiency improves. We find that our creative channels get unblocked. We find we're able to do in an hour what it was taking us four hours to do because we were fighting the world. We were a victim. It was a very competitive situation, and our pride was at stake. And we went to a meeting, and somebody talked about that, and they said, hey, live and let live, just be part of the process, live in harmony, try to be useful. We're going, hell, right, well, that's in, uh, that isn't the way I was seeing life at all. And when we come back with this new perspective on our situation, we have different answers, and we find that those work better. And what happens is, if you ever read Chuck uh, Chamberlain's book, A New Pair of Glasses, he talks about, and it's just a man who was a millionaire and a businessman, he's in air conditioning of supermarkets, to be more specific. And he had been in a cutthroat business, et cetera, et cetera, and he just started practicing the principles of his program in that business. And 
it was incredible. I mean, just total honesty, never cutting any corners. And just, you know, if I have to go back and do this all over, that's fine. Whatever it takes, I will always do the right thing. And just, and uh, on paper, his company got real nervous with this policy because uh, if you projected it out, it was just not going to work. And uh, he ended up not being able to handle the business. I mean, it just kept piling in because he was trying to do something uh, that was correct. He was trying to do the right thing. And because of that, all kinds of other things happened, but that wasn't the point of doing it. And so it becomes sort of a paradoxical thing. This is what um, the goal of this step is, is to get all of the things that are blocking out a free and unlimited supply of power into our lives um, on a daily basis. And once that power is is in there, and you, we get glimpses of this, we get glimpses of peace of mind. Bill talks about prior to, under, to seeing peace of mind, we thought life was either excitement, anxiety, or depression. It was, it was one of those three. And you just went from one to the other and you said, God, I can't stand anxiety. I think I'll go back to excitement. You mean, and that's why we had to have a party going all the time. If we could keep the excitement level going, at least that was better than depression. And keep people around action, stick something in your arm and something up your nose, pour a bottle down there and just keep it moving. <laughs> because when that stops, it's awful. You know what I mean? We have no idea what peace of mind was. And then we get in this program, we're stopping a lot of that stuff, and we, we get real anxious. And there's a great period of anxiety in those first months in AA. You're sitting there with, like this at a discussion meeting, and the topic is peace of mind. <laughs> You know what I mean? And you're afraid to grab your coffee cup because your hands are like this. And so there are some fun little situations, but those are just the price of admission. And as time goes by, why we do much better at that. So the um, process that goes on in this seventh step, not to belabor the point, but this is, uh, my, I think, the most interesting step we have as far as I'm concerned to uh, understand it. Um, there's a word that is written about in this step that we try to hide try to disguise but it, it has to be dealt with and Bill deals with it on about two full pages in the 12 and 12 and it's called pain and uh, that's where we get there's no gain without pain and so what are we talking about pain what is the pain well in the simplest terms that I've been able to think about it it goes something like this. In order to do the third step, if you think about the third step, made a decision to turn my woman's life over the care of a higher power. Sounds great, right? It's going to have somebody manage my life. It's just going to be a wonderful concept. In order to do that, I have to go through the pain of not getting my way. And see, I have what I call inside of me my way about things. I don't know what the hell that is. I get up in the morning and it's like something turns on. And I go... Oh, I'm just waking my eyes like this, and I go, hope it's not raining. I haven't even opened my eyes yet and have decided that if it's raining, it's unacceptable. You see what I'm saying? I haven't even done, moved yet. I haven't even got to the bathroom yet, and I'm making a... 
a pronouncement about the day. Well, there's no traffic out there. If there's traffic today, boy, I'm going to run. Now I've made a big pronouncement on traffic. I haven't even brushed my teeth yet. And my, this, whatever that is, is firing up, and it's just get, getting up ahead of steam, and it'll start going on. Well, I hope that South America situation is straightened out. And still haven't got that bad. They better get that goddamn thing straightened out in a hurry. I'm running, I'm getting close to the edge on this, you know, and some other thing, you know, redskins and this and that, and I've just got an official pronouncement on about 80 zillion things. And what this step is trying to have us do is, don't do that. That's all. That's what peace of mind is. That, that's the whole AA program is right there. You remember that old joke where you walk in the doctor and he says, Doctor, it hurts when I go like this. He says, don't do that. <laughs> so we're down to a rather outrageous statement out of this seventh step. Don't have a way. You know, wow, that's absolutely mind-boggling. What it's saying is the alternative to that kind of self-centeredness on every little issue that there is, it's almost like, well, if I don't do that, I won't go anywhere. You ever have that? I won't be anybody. You know, that's wrong. You've got to try this other side. So what I want to do is get out of bed and get to the 24-hour day book before that system fires off and read something in there and go, no, today I'm going to try and function on, let's go out and be useful. Why are these directions that the 12 steps have? You know, you have to break years of uh, habit pattern and this whole thing has this self-centeredness and defects have a force and a life of their own and one is going to be in charge that day. Either your instincts and character defects are going to be in charge or you are. And on a daily basis, we get a shot at it. And every day is a whole different ball game. And some days you get up and you're late and you don't get to read the 24-hour table. You don't even get started. You just are listening to all these things and nothing goes right that day. Everything is wrong. And the only thing, there's no such thing as something happening right or wrong. Things just happen. We make judgments about them. You know what I mean? When, when you go out not self-centered, big traffic jam, you go, oh, this is one of those big traffic jams that doesn't bother you. You know what I mean? Uh-oh, here's one that does. You know, like, like there's two kinds of traffic jams. There's, there's just traffic jams, and they're always there. It's what we bring into the middle of that mess. We can bring in somebody who is working these principles, or we can bring in somebody who is being controlled by pride. Obviously, pride would not want to be in a traffic jam. And so that is what humility has to do with is a recognition of what a struggle it's going to be to get out of that driver's seat and that it's going to be painful that it just hurts to have generated your way and then have to eat those words and back off and go if it be thy will you know what I mean hope it turns out this way if it be your will cutting a little bit of slack there and um, so there's pain involved and that's enough on that, because I'm going to not have enough time to get to uh, eight and nine. Um, what happens in that step, it, it further defines what we're going to try and accomplish out of the AA program. It shows that we have a never-ending growth job and that peace of mind is 
the ability to be happy with constant change and to actively go out and seek to go through some more change. And when that's adopted as a way of life, then I think what happens is you change your uh, the word pain into effort and you just go out and put a little effort in today. And you don't even classify it. It's when we stop our spiritual program and go coasting along on self-centeredness for six months and then try and get back in spiritual shape, it hurts. It's like getting out of physical shape. Getting back in is painful. Maintaining it is an effort. And there's a great deal of difference. It's just a nice day, daily routine. Um, the next two steps have to do with personal relationships. Um, made a list of all the people we had harmed, became willing to make amends to them all, and uh, made direct amends to such people uh, except where to do, whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. And since this has to do with uh, people, since it has to do with uh, all the folks we've sort of run into in our past, the very we run into in our past, the very beginning process is liable to be a resentment. Um, the instincts go on the defensive. We've got a list of the people, and we're, our mind projects ahead to the fact that we're going to have to actually go visit them, and we can already see the discomfort in doing that, and now we resent the fact that they exist, uh, that we even have to deal with this mess. And uh, so we start coming up with an explanation of what the problem is, and we finally come out with that it's mostly their fault that we misbehaved in the first place. And so we've shifted all of the blame back out where it belongs, not on us. And it's just the basic power of the instincts to try and get us to not have to do anything. Because if the more we do, the less they're in charge. And they really don't like that. There's a self-centeredness that wants to remain that way. And so it's suggested in the uh, 12 and 12 that the best way to start out with a list of all these people is to forgive everybody. Start right off with this entire list that we're going to go out and tell and whatever they've done is over. And this will get rid of things that some of us have carried for 10, 15, 20 years. I mean, I remember hearing this forgiveness idea, thought it was a wonderful concept, and I let everybody off the hook except three people. Just like that, I felt it was such a great concept. I, I just didn't think we wanted to carry it to an extreme where we would be forgiving the unforgivable. You know what I mean? And who decides what's unforgivable? Me. I mean, I'm a perfectly good judge. And in other words, it was absolutely outrageous, unforgivable, terrible thing that this person did when it borrowed my car without telling me. I and mean, it was just amazing that they would do something like that. Whatever it might be that we decided to hold on to, that can be one of the greatest threats to our sobriety that we have, is to carry that kind of judgment on an incident and never, what we've said is, I am never going to set myself free from this. I'm going to carry this one all the way. And so this step has a wonderful beginning of suggesting that the first thing we do is just forgive everybody on that, um, on that list. The second thing is to suggests that the goal of doing this is to learn a new way of life which is living in harmony. And harmony and usefulness get to be buzzwords in this spiritual program. We substitute uh, pride and accomplishments with harmony and usefulness. That this is the real purpose of our life. The other one was our self-imposed purpose. We decided that but my goal in life should be to become the president of this company. My goal in life should be to be this. 
we, we're driven and we know we ought to be accomplishing something because something inside of us tells us that. What the program is suggesting is we've misdiagnosed it. That what we're, what the real force inside of us is to become a spiritual person. And that that is what will bring us peace of mind and not the being the president of the company. That we have misdiagnosed our own, uh, situation. And I remember, when the first time I heard that I went, wrong. You don't know me. I, I know myself better than that. And what really is required here is $94,000. That's it. <laughs> Then we'll get spiritual. <laughs> Put the two together, you got peace of mind. But you can't get one without the other, you know. And so I had a lot of other conditions, which is to underestimate the power of your higher power. What you're saying to your higher power is, you know, I really believe, higher power, that you and 94,000 could give me peace of mind. And I'm going, I can just hear the higher power. Why don't you try it without the 94,000? I think I can handle it, you know, and we're just going, no. Um, and so it is a, we're underestimating what we have available here in order to stay in the driver's seat. Anyway, the uh, second thing that we're liable to encounter is the fact that we say, harm people? Oh, I forgot to tell you, I wasn't a violent drunk. As a matter of fact, the more I think about it, the only one I hurt when I was drinking was myself. Anybody ever heard that sentence? The only one I ever heard when I was drinking was myself. I'm not one of these guys who drank at home, beat their kids up. I've heard those stories. I drank alone. I went away. Didn't even have booze in the house. Then we talked to the family. They say, is that true? Yes, he'd be gone months at a time. <laughs> So the harm that was inflicted there was a hundred times more than getting punched out. We're now we're inflicting uncertainty, no money, is the guy dead or is she missing in action? What is wrong? The unpredictability and then when we come in, the things we inflict, the harm we're talking about in the ninth or the eighth step are such things as resentment, self-pity. Take self-pity down to the office and dump it on everybody. Hey, when I feel bad, nobody should be laughing. What are you doing over there laughing? Hey, hey, hey. Come on, boy. If I don't have any money, nobody should be enjoying money. If I don't have a girlfriend, nobody should have a girlfriend. I, you know that whole thing? And just let's go inflict that. Let's inflict prejudice on people. Let's make slurs about this and race and religion. Let's make ourselves feel better by putting down the next guy. Hey, how about let's debate the points all the way to the end. Why don't we just uh, be a power driver and just run every little situation. Be like uh, Hitler in your own home. Uh, over here, over here, over here. Nobody gets to make a move unless you say something. Or don't say a word. I'm not even involved in this house. I just, I just get my mail here. Go ask your mother. Uh, whatever it is, it's not pleasant to look at because it's the kind of harm that we, we just didn't think about. But when we look at it, it was there and we had a special talent and that talent was we were able to bring out the worst in people. We were able to bring out the very worst in everyone that we met. Therefore, we didn't think the world was too great. But we had no idea we were causing the world to be that bad. And that's why so often people come into AA and they go, you know, I came to AA, my family straightened out. We stopped doing things that brought out the worst in them. We stopped pushing their anxiety to the limit. We stopped bringing their anger to the limit. 
And so it is in this step that we get a handle on how out of harmony we were, how out of step we were, why we got these reactions wherever we went, and we got a new goal, which is to live in harmony and usefulness with the people around us. What this is teaching us to do uh, is to listen and to try and understand other people rather than demanding that we be understood. And the um, end of the step that, that Bill writes about is it ends our isolation and leads us into the step that brings us the promises, which I've only saved a few minutes on, but I think I can get through it. The ninth step may direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. This, again, is a fairly self-explanatory step that we're going to go, if we owe people money, we're going to make arrangements to pay it back. In the big book, it talks about the importance of doing that or we'll probably get drunk. When you sit around and worry about the money you owe and you're going to run into somebody, a letter's coming, the phone is ringing, you just can't take that. It's just it's a terribly building problem and we're running, running, running from these things and what it's saying here is in order to stay sober uh, on some of these things, we're going to have to do something about it. We're finally going to have to pick the phone up. Hello, Acme Credit Company. My real address and name is... <laughs> <laughs> and the best I can do is a dollar and a half a week. And uh, we find out. They go, oh, good. Well, I'm glad to know where you are. Uh, that's not the best, but we're going to have to take that. And I mean, all of a sudden, geez, I'm making progress on these problems. We're doing something about them. Um, the list of people uh, is as much as we can remember. It's back even before we're drinking. After we came in AA, it's an all-inclusive list. Um, the only advice on going to see these people, we're talking about making an apology, sharing that we're in the program, and it's not a complicated thing. We're going there. We're just going, I just feel bad about that time. I tore up your house. Uh, let me tell you about it. And I'm just getting in the program. I'm just trying to come over here. Basically, it's like you're on my list and I'm supposed to visit you. I mean, you can keep it that simple. You don't have to go into some off-the-wall explanation why we're doing it in the first place. But there's a couple suggestions. One of them is that this is a spiritual program and that these steps are power tools and we mention this on almost every one of these uh, sessions that we want to stay plugged in to a higher power in order to get these done and I think no step uh, is this more true than in the ninth step and a way that I heard years ago that I'll pass on to anybody who is new if you're walking you have to go see someone and you feel threatened by the entire situation it's some boss you used to work for and now he's up in some corporation and you call and you're going up there and the secretary yes and you're going oh gee I can't believe I'm going in there and you just sort of sweat on the forehead and all of that hold the phone start all over again you know go back out to the elevator get a little card out of your wallet with a serenity prayer and the steps and so on now look the thing over talk it over with your higher power and take your higher power in with you and walk up to the secretary and say tell Mr. Brown we're here to see him <laughs> and then both of you go in and discuss this matter uh, because we're not there groveling and scraping around we're there doing the right thing it may go across well or it may not we could get thrown out of the office doesn't matter our deal is over with we have followed the suggestions of this step and we're up against the 
um, more than any point in our program, we're up against um, something that I think teaches us some valuable lessons. What is being suggested in this step is we're going to do the right thing. In other words, this step has been put in there is saying making amends is the right thing to do in these situations. And I'll tell you, it, isn't the, it doesn't come natural. There's just um, a lot of these people we don't like. And we got a lot of anger in there. We got a lot of resentment in there. We're going to go in there and go, Hi, I haven't seen you in 10 years. I'd like to come here to... And it just it goes against our better judgment. It goes against our way, if you will. And yet there it sits. And we are torn between the pains of running away from this thing and doing the right thing. And after we do this, this is where the promises are. And I brought them along to read here today. We'll take the last three minutes or so reading out of the big book. I wanted to start with uh, something over here that says, sometimes we hear, this is just a quote out of the big book, not the promises yet. Sometimes we hear an alcoholic say the only thing he needs to do is keep sober. Certainly he must keep sober, for there's no home if he doesn't, but he's a long way from making good on a lot of things. The alcoholic is like a tornado roaring his way through the lives of others. Hearts are broken, relationships are dead, selfish and inconsiderate habits have kept the home in a turmoil. We feel a man is unthinking when he says that sobriety is enough. He's like the farmer who came up out of the cyclone cellar to find the home ruined. To his wife, he remarked, don't see anything the matter here. Isn't it great the wind stopped blowing? It's not enough. It is for a while, but eventually we've got to move on into these steps and make the changes. <coughs> now, let me get to these steps. If we are painstaking, or the promises, if we're painstaking about this phase of our development, we'll be amazed before we're halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. And this freedom is the freedom from self-centeredness. That, and that's what the happiness is. It's the happiness of not being self-centered. If there's anything that uh, the spiritual program, the entire reward is not being self-centered. That is where the joy and the great freedom. We will not regret the past nor wish to shut the door on it. Which is a great way to balance that past out. Once we've gone back and seen these people and have made the amends, that's it. We've taken the best shot that can be taken on the past and it sets us up for the very next step, which is where we live a day at a time. It is very difficult to live a day at a time and drag 1957 with you as you plot along plus a one month in 62 plus all of 72, 3, and 4. <laughs> And it's go, I'm just going a day at a time and people are watching you drag all these things that haven't been fixed yet and this is the last step prior to being able to live a day at a time. We will comprehend the word serenity and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. And this is one of the most wonderful things that happens in AA. All of those things you feel terrible about yourself, all just being an alcoholic that we were so ashamed of we suddenly find being an alcoholic is what enables us to save human lives. So the worst part of us becomes extremely useful in this context of this program. Our rotten, nut ward jail experiences are what the next person listens to. Oh, you were in a nut ward? I'll follow you. <laughs> oh, you used to be like this? Oh, good, I'll listen to you. So this horrible part of ourselves that we used to think was just so rotten and everything is our gift of life to the next person. And we see ourselves in a whole new 
perspective and that feeling of uselessness and self-pity disappears and we see how our experience can benefit others. So there's value to all of that rotten pain that we went through after all. In this context, nowhere else is it valuable, only in this context. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away. Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle us. That was what I was talking about earlier about in the business world or in the relationship world. We just give up on trying to figure it out, take a break, work on our higher power, uh, spiritual side a little bit. We come back and we suddenly have some answers uh, that, to things that we never had those kind of answers before. And we start to rely on intuition uh, as a way of living as opposed to our, own, our old ways of relying on pride. We will intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. The bottom line is pride may be able to take us 110% of our capability, but a higher power can take us a million miles above that. It's like, how high can I fly just with my arms or in a plane? You know what I mean? Maybe somehow with my pride I can actually get this far off the ground. And we go, hey, that's fabulous. Look at that guy down there. We're at 50,000 in the 747. And we're going, that's amazing what he did. But it's still going to take him a long time to get to California. <laughs> that's a wonderful point. He just proved that he could do that. But, you know, maybe someday he'll take advantage of the power of a jet engine but uh, you see what I'm saying it's a wonderful point what pride can do but it's nothing compared to what a higher power can do nothing it's, no, it's not even the same ball game we're at the end of the time there's another meeting in 15 minutes a wonderful discussion meeting and uh Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Sobercast is ad-free, and we'd like your help in order to keep it that way. So if you'd like to help us be self-supporting by pledging a dollar to a month, visit Sobercast.com and look for the donate links. Thank you very much.